a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be taking a look at a, a new research paper from a couple of academics, one from the uh, University of Kansas and the uh, other from, uh, I believe, uh, University of Texas, San Antonio, uh, called Who Might Buy a Gun? Results from the Guns in American Life Survey. Mm-hmm. Kind of a uh, timely uh, research paper, given the uh, extraordinary increase in gun ownership over the past year. National Shooting Sports Foundation estimates, what, 8.5 million uh, new gun owners around the country, and those numbers appear to be continuing in uh, 2020. Uh, and so, again, uh, these uh, researchers uh, decided to take a look at the, quote, diverse motives uh, behind American gun ownership. And I, I will say, look, while this is an academic paper, and there is, I think, some uh, some bias within this paper, this is not an anti-gun screed. There's actually some useful information uh, for gun owners and for Second Amendment activists contained within this report. So let, let, let's let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, this is from the uh, the paper's overview, talking about some evidence exists that overall gun sales and household ownership uh, have declined in the past couple of years. They say there's no doubt that there are plenty of guns in the hands of Americans. An estimated 350 to 400 million firearms owned by civilians in the United States, and this is the first interesting factoid, handgun ownership has increased by more than 70% since 2004. Now, they say, since our nation's founding, firearms have occupied a central place in American life and culture. Although its precise meaning remains highly contested, they write the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution enshrines the right to keep and bear arms as a fundamental right of American citizens. Uh, in light of recent trends and the public outcry over recent mass shootings, it's vital to understand differences in social sources and attitudes and current and future ownership patterns. So that's kind of what they're taking a look at. And they've got a number of hypotheses about what might lead somebody to become a gun owner, uh, what might lead somebody to become open to the idea of gun ownership, uh, though they are not currently a gun owner, and then what attitudes might make somebody just shut down uh, and refuse uh, the, uh, the idea that at one point in time, they might want to exercise their own. Uh, right to keep and bear arms. So they, they, they don't just look at gun owners and non-gun owners in this survey. They look at gun owners, those who are open to gun ownership, and then those who say, nope, absolutely not for me. Uh, and one of the things that they talk about is one of the hypotheses that they uh, present is, okay, so if, you're, if you are uh, less supportive uh, of the police, does that make you more likely to become a gun owner? And, and this is one of the areas where I kind of quibble a little bit. Uh, they say one of the recurrent arguments heard from the advocates of firearms and gun owners' rights is that the police cannot be everywhere they're needed when they're needed. They cannot be sufficiently present and visible to discourage criminals from home invasions, violent assaults, or other major crimes, nor can they respond quickly enough in the aftermath of criminal acts to save individuals and their families and property from serious harm. Uh, the uh, authors write, the reasons for this skepticism may be varied. I, I, don't, I don't consider any of that to be skepticism. I don't consider that to be supportive or, or, or unsupportive of law enforcement. I consider that to be a basic fact of life. Police cannot be everywhere at every time. Police 
tend to respond to violent crimes after they've occurred. Uh, And police are under no obligation to protect you as an individual. The Supreme Court has ruled that. Now, that doesn't make me anti-cop. It doesn't make me pro-cop. It is simply the facts. And and that's the reality that we live in, that police can't be everywhere. Uh, Typically, they are going to respond to a violent crime, but they're not going to uh, be able to be in a position to prevent it from taking place uh, beforehand. And police are under no obligation to protect you as an individual, which to me says that it's up to you and me ultimately to protect ourselves as individuals. Um, When it comes to the rate of gun ownership and who owns firearms, uh, again, these authors note that it sure looks like the the, the American gun-owning populace uh, is becoming as diverse as America itself, which is, I think, really good news for Second Amendment supporters. Uh, Take a look at this specifically. Um, They said, uh, we identify several new patterns by demographic categories that tell us more about who's open to gun ownership in the future and reveal a category of gun owner who, while sometimes functioning as mostly like owners, are sometimes very different. Uh, In all three models, we see as expected that women are significantly much less likely to be owners or potential owners. Income separated the owners from the non-owners, but not the maybes from the nevers. Education significantly differentiated the maybes from the nevers. Patterns by racial and ethnic affiliation are unexpected, they say. Hispanic respondents were more likely than white respondents to be gun owners. African-American and other respondents were more likely to be prospective owners than were white respondents. Um... Let's let's talk about that for just a second, because again, this the, the the media stereotype is that every gun owner in America looks like, well, me, right? White guy in his forties, a little pudgy, <clears throat> put it mildly, uh, beard trimmed, by the way, uh, uh, from what it was last week, but still bearded, ball capped, live in a rural area, right? That that's who American gun owners are supposed to be, according to the media. Well, according to these researchers. That's not the case. Again, we're talking about a right of the people to keep and bear arms. So should we be surprised that the people are are interested in bearing arms? Regardless of your race or your color, your creed or background, there is a sizable portion of every type of demographic. No matter how thinly you want to try to slice and dice us, every demographic in this country contains gun owners or those who are at least amenable to the idea of owning firearms. What about political divides? They say the two political orientation measures worked mostly in anticipated ways, although they only differentiated the maybes from the nevers when comparing Democrats to independents. Democrats were almost twice as likely to be open to gun ownership in the future than were independents. Both conservative and liberal-leaning respondents were much more likely to be owners compared to independents. And they say, however, the pattern was different for the maybes. Conservatives were more likely to be maybes, but liberal-leaning respondents were not. Now, I got to say, this fascinates me. And this, I think, is really, really important when it comes to Second Amendment activism. Look, I'm a conservative. I tend to vote Republican. In fact, I think the last time I voted for a Democrat may have been when I was 18 years old and I voted for Bill Clinton. There might have been one other one since then, but... uh, now, generally speaking, I vote Republican, and I, I, I'm a conservative. There's no 
I make no bones about it. But again, we're talking about a right of the people. And from a Second Amendment activism perspective, I would much rather that we have pro-gun politicians in the Republican and Democratic parties because our Second Amendment rights are going to be more secure that way. So I think this is really good news. You know, when we look at things on, uh, we, we tend to look at like polls, you know, they say, here's what the conservatives said, here's what the Democrats said, and uh, here's what the independents say. And generally speaking, you know, let's say, I don't know, on, on any given issue, uh, if Republicans support something by 80%, uh, Democrats tend to oppose it by 80%. And then the independents are somewhere in the middle, right? So we, I, I sort of had that same assumption when it comes to the right to keep and bear arms, when it comes to the Second Amendment, Republicans are going to be more likely, Democrats are going to be way less likely, and independents are going to be somewhere in the middle in terms of supporting gun ownership or even being gun owners themselves. That's not the case. What these researchers have found is that the more politically engaged you are, regardless of what party you affiliate with, the more politically engaged you are, the more likely you are to be a gun owner. And I think that's really important going forward when we're talking about strategies and tactics that we can use as Second Amendment activists uh, to move the ball forward and to strengthen and secure a right to keep and bear arms. It's not that we shouldn't pay attention to independents. Again, there are still a number of independents who are gun owners and Second Amendment activists. But to me, this suggests that there is more fertile ground to be sown in terms of reaching out to gun owners who aren't conservative and who aren't Republican, because there is a base of support there. And that makes sense. If you think about it, 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, a quarter of the Democrats in the House of Representatives were A-rated by the NRA. A decade ago, one in four House Democrats were rated A by the National Rifle Association. Today, that number is zero. Zero percent of Democrats in the House are rated A by the National Rifle Association. Now, I think the Democrat Party for a variety of reasons, making a huge mistake by embracing this uh, anti-gun agenda that seeks to turn our Second Amendment rights into privileges. But this data from these researchers would suggest that, um, that there is some evidence to that, that there are plenty of Democrats who are gun owners, who are Second Amendment supporters, who maybe don't feel represented by their party. Now, maybe they're not single-issue voters. Maybe they're voting for Democrats despite the Democrats' views on gun control. But we also haven't seen Democrats in a position to push major gun control legislation uh, for the past four or five years. And even with uh, Obama, I mean, you're talking about uh, the first couple of years of Obama's term, he had a Democrat majority in Congress and they did not pursue gun control legislation. So I think it is still very much an open question as to whether or not those pro-gun Democrats or those gun-owning Democrats would remain Democrats or at least Democratic voters uh, if the Biden-Harris administration really does decide to act on the anti-gun agenda that they put forth on the campaign trail. Uh, a couple of other uh, items that are worth noting here, and this is from, the, uh, from a uh, news article put out by the University of Kansas about this. Uh, among the most common assumptions about gun owners is that they gravitate towards the weapon out of fear. Uh, one of the researchers who, who helped put this together, Margaret Kelly, who's an associate professor of American studies at the University of Kansas, says, no, 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 no. 
This is an overgeneralization that people buy guns because they're afraid. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. She says there are positive aspects of gun ownership. It's not just, again, that, well, what are you afraid of? Why are you so scared? I bet you got a tiny little wiener, don't you? Those are the, those are the lies that gun control activists tell themselves to make themselves feel better about their position. And maybe their own wiener size, who knows? Uh, Kelly, though, says that there are positive aspects of gun ownership, which she terms gun gratifications. She found that these are frequently divided by gender, with men feeling more empowered by firearms, while women are motivated by the sense of protection that comes with owning a firearm. On the other end of those studied are persons who claim they'll never own a gun. Kelly says uh, this group mainly populated by respondents who are wrestling with an ideological issue. Many don't believe that guns are part of the, quote, good society. She added, uh, factoring in as well as the fear of violence. In many studies, guns are specifically equated with violence. In fact, she says the vast majority of guns will never be involved in a negative outcome. Yet it is hard to disassociate that connection given the very severe violence that does happen and the fear that is generated by mass shootings and things of that nature. So again, the motivations for gun ownership are different. First of all, the vast majority of people who buy firearms are doing so for their own personal protection, their own personal defense. It's not, well, because I feel empowered. It's not, well, because it's my right and this is a political act. It's not because uh, I'm worried that one day we're going to have to stand up against tyranny. All of those reasons can be found, but the driver of gun ownership is I want to be able to protect myself and or I want to be able to protect the people that I love. Uh, in this survey, uh, they talk a lot about gun culture 2.0, which uh, Kelly says is very different than gun culture 1.0. She said it used to be that guns were owned primarily for hunting and recreation. Just a generation before, as people kept shotguns and hunting rifles in their cars, they only had them around the home because they needed them for protection against animals. Since the 1960s, she says, this culture of guns has been changing, and it is in large part an increase in handguns that are owned for personal protection. It is becoming the self-defense culture, in a way. And that, she says, includes owners welcoming the empowerment associated with firearms, which uh, is becoming a less passive condition. She said, quote, for people involved in having one for self-defense, it's something that you think about when you get up in the morning. You have to dress around the gun. You have to know which stores you can go into and which one that you can't which is true certainly for the 20-plus million Americans who are concealed carry holders. Now, again, we have many more Americans who are not concealed carry holders. Some of that is because they live in states like New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, California, um, which make it nearly impossible to obtain a concealed carry license. If we honestly had nationwide shall-issue concealed carry, I think the number of 20 million concealed carry holders would be closer to 35 or 40 million. Because California, with its, what, 40 million uh, people, the, the, the bulk of the uh, most populous counties are subjective issue. Los Angeles County, San Francisco County, Santa Clara County, where you got to, you know, allegedly help, you know, give some cash to the uh, sheriff's office to grease the wheels for your application to be processed. Uh, New York, same thing. Uh, the most populated areas of the uh, state of New York are much more subjective issue than rural counties that that may have those subjective issue laws in the books, but treat concealed carry as a shall issue system. You pass the uh, statutory requirements, you get your license. There are quite literally 
tens of millions of Americans who are being denied their right to bear arms because they live in a locality that doesn't recognize that it's a right. If that were to change, the number of concealed carry holders in this country would increase even more substantially than it has just over the past couple of years. Uh, not only, by the way, are we seeing record-setting gun sales at the moment, but we're seeing record-setting number of uh, concealed carry applications. Uh, Multnomah County, Portland, Oregon, for example, um, double the normal rate of concealed carry applications in January of this year compared to January of last year. They're up 100%. That's in Portland. So imagine what those numbers are like in places that uh, are traditionally more supportive uh, of the right to keep and bear arms. Now, I'll, I'll provide a link to the entire uh, report here, and I would encourage you, again, if you, are a, if you are a Second Amendment activist, if this is an issue that you care about, you want to be as effective as possible, you want the movement to be as effective as possible, there's a lot to learn here. Again, you're going to have to sift through some bias. You're going to have to sift through some, you know, weasel words and things of that nature. But, but the data itself, I think, is really interesting. And I think it is largely positive for the Second Amendment movement. Uh, I wrote a, a little bit uh, this weekend about the need for a big tent. And, and this is something I feel very, very strongly about in terms of uh, the Second Amendment community. We have been a Big Ten movement. I think we are maybe the last Big Ten political movement in the United States. And this research backs that up, that we are a Big Ten. It really is about the right of the people, not about the right of people who vote like me or the right of people who look like me or the right of people who think like me, but a right of the people to keep and bear arms that shall not be infringed. And when we are able to get more people involved and engaged not only in our Second Amendment activism, but simply in politics in general. According to this research, we are more likely to see those individuals become gun owners, and I believe we're more likely to see them become Second Amendment activists as well. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. Our recidivist report will start there with a story out of Seattle, Washington, where a new video shows that an armed carjacking suspect has a lengthy criminal history. This is from KOMO. Police say 47-year-old Leonardo Ortega pulled a shotgun on Wednesday and in the process stole 68-year-old Phil Salmon's pickup truck from a Chevron gas station. Phil Salmon's son, Dan, says it could have been a lot worse if he had pulled the trigger. He was only three feet away. Yeah, could have been a lot worse. Uh, could have been a lot better because uh, Leonardo Ortega is well-known to law enforcement. Ortega Ortega uh, then proceeded, after stealing the vehicle, to take officers on a uh, car chase with speeds, reaching up to 75 miles an hour on city streets, ended up with a, a huge crash several hours or several miles away. Uh, Leonardo Ortega immediately taken into custody. He uh, waived his right to appear in court for his bail hearing on Friday afternoon. Uh, and according to KOMO, Leonardo Ortega has a lengthy criminal history, including seven previous felony convictions. Seven of them, such as being a felon in possession of a stolen gun, as well as stealing cars. Uh, Casey McNurthy with the uh, King County Prosecutor's Office says, we know from police that they're investigating him for multiple cases, not only in Seattle, but other cities as well. And now there are questions about why a judge released him last month. <laughs> After Leonardo Ortega was arrested for allegedly stealing a FedEx truck, in a Seattle neighborhood. Uh, McNerthy says, uh, in those documents we got from police, law enforcement did not object to the release. 
He said, I'm not sure if the officer who looked at that case when they put together that form knew the extent of his history, so it's not meant to knock the police at all. Well, it, it's, I would say this, it's not also just up to police. It's up to prosecutors to object. Did prosecutors object? Um, you know, look, we've seen in Seattle, and I'm not excusing this, but we've seen in Seattle, the city council go after the Seattle Police Department. Not only in terms of trying to cut their budget, but in terms of uh, deriding the officers who serve on the force. And we've seen a pullback, I think, on the part of Seattle police officers themselves. So, again, I'm not saying if this is, if this is what happened, I'm not, I'm not excusing it. But I would not be shocked if police are sort of going through the motions right now. And if they arrest somebody like Leonardo Ortega with a lengthy criminal history, that they don't bother objecting to his release because they know he's going to be released anyway, based on the attitudes of the criminal justice system in Seattle. So maybe, maybe again, maybe uh, police should have objected, and maybe that would have kept Mr. Ortega behind bars. But I'm not confident that that's the case. Um, I think the problem is with the criminal justice system itself, not only in Seattle, but around the nation. Because this guy didn't just rack up two or three priors, right? No, he had seven other felony offenses on his record. And it doesn't sound like he really has spent any real time behind bars for any of those crimes. Now, our armed citizen story of the day from Old Hickory, Tennessee. This is a crazy story. Uh, you may have seen these prank videos where, you know, somebody runs up to somebody and pretends to rob them, pretends to, uh, you know, carjack them. Yeah, that apparently is what happened on uh, Saturday, or excuse me, a Friday night. It was just before 9.30, strip mall with a building with several businesses, including a, a trampoline park. And uh, police in Old Hickory say that uh, 20-year-old Timothy Wilkes was shot and killed uh, in the parking lot there. Detectives were told Wilkes and a friend were participating in a, quote, prank robbery that they were filming. Got it posted on YouTube or TikTok. They approached a group of people with butcher knives. You can already see where this is going to go wrong, can't you? Well, a 23-year-old man told police that he shot Wilkes, unaware that this was a prank. As far as he knew, he was being approached by uh, several individuals with butcher knives who wanted to rob him. And so he acted in self-defense. Um, Urban Air customer uh, Emily Yeager told uh, WKRN, quote, this is like a huge kids area. And when we were in there, there were a ton of tiny kids. It's like, that's just not a great idea, especially if anyone walking out there or something like that. Well, again... You're allowed to act in self-defense. What you're not allowed to do is try to rob somebody. You're also not allowed to try to prank somebody into thinking that they're being robbed. No charges have been filed right now. The investigation uh, does continue. I would be shocked if charges were filed in this case. And, and I, you know, I, I feel bad for the family and friends of uh, Timothy Wilkes, who apparently was acting like a dumbass and maybe thought he'd get a couple of yucks. Here's the thing, and this is, again, this should be common sense, but for anybody who doesn't already get this, when you try to prank somebody into thinking that you're robbing them or you're carjacking them or you're going to invade their home or you're going to harm them in any way, that's not a prank. That's not a prank. And there's no way for the person that you're pranking to know that this isn't real. They're going to react and they're going to respond as if it is real.
And in fact, that's what you, the prankster, are hoping for, right? You're hoping for that genuine reaction. Well, be advised that when you genuinely make people believe that they are being the victim of a violent crime, some of them are going to fight back. Uh, again, we've seen some stupid, <laughs> and I do mean stupid, prank videos. This is a bad idea for all involved. Uh, you want to pull a prank on somebody and get the reaction, put a whoopee cushion under their, you know, on their chair before they sit down. Don't try to make somebody believe that you're robbing them because that will likely end up very poorly for you, the prankster. All right, finally today, our uh, good deed of the day from uh, Minnesota, where a, a DNR officer, Chris Venton, in the right place at the right time, wasn't able to do the right thing to uh, save a five-year-old child who had wandered off uh, in freezing cold weather. This was uh, wearing just his pajamas, by the way. Um, Chris Venton assisted the uh, Purim Police Department looking for the kid who walked away from his home. He said, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, he was in uh, Purim back on January 26th when the call came in and he decided to assist. Child was reported missing about 10 o'clock in the morning when the temperature was just 7 degrees outside. Uh, when he arrived on scene, the uh, Purim police fire chief started looking for the missing to uh, toddler, not toddler, five-year-old. Uh, James Gritz, who is the uh, police chief there in Purim, says the uh, five-year-old undid the door bolt, wandered out of the house. Family told authorities that the child does not hear or see well. Um... Officer Vinton said he was going to the neighbors to ask for permission to look for the child in a detached garage when he actually saw the five-year-old lying motionless and face down in the snow behind a snowbank about 30 feet away from where Vinton had parked his car. He said, I scooped him up, took the child to the ambulance to be taken to the hospital. The uh, child was uh, cold and just barely conscious when he uh, uh, found him. But the good news is that the uh, child has made a, a complete recovery. In the day since. So in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. DNR officer Chris Vinton in uh, Minnesota. We thank you, sir, for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube or Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Rumble. That way you'll never miss a show. Or if you want the audio version, we've got you covered as well. Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whew, even the townhall.com podcast page. And, of course, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. We'll be back tomorrow, but until then, be well, be safe, and be free.